What a great season as we think about Christmas and God's love. He came. He was born. And yet he's always been. And it's interesting as uh, Logan was talking in his children's sermon. He says this is the week of peace. Christ is our peace. He's the prince of peace. And there are two kinds of peace. There is the peace of God which comes when we're in those difficult circumstances and we need that peace that passes or transcends all understanding. But there's also peace with God. You see, Jesus came, Jesus died, Jesus was resurrected, Jesus ascended. And all of that is true and all of that is powerful, but we also have been made enemies with God because of this issue of a heart issue of a sin problem and peace with God comes as we look at what he did for us and we're going to look this morning at the spirit of God and how he speaks to us and how he opens our hearts and our eyes to the fact that we need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ in our lives and that's where a walk with God begins is the prompting of the Spirit of God helping us see our need of a Savior. And, and we're going to look in John chapter 16 this morning, verses 5 through 11. So I'll ask uh, if you find that, if you stand in our great God's honor. Now I'm going to read the text aloud. Now I am going to him who sent me. None of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the Counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for sharing with your followers, the twelve, that they would not be alone, but that your spirit would come. Father, thank you that although um, we cannot see you in the flesh, your spirit is with us. Father, I, I pray that your spirit would have a freedom to speak uh, this morning to us and just point us to Jesus because that's what he does. And Father, uh, just speak to us. We're all in need of you. So Lord, we just ask you to move. In Christ's name we pray. The Holy Spirit is throughout the whole Bible. Matter of fact, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2, it says the Spirit of God hovered above the earth. And then if you get to the uh, Revelation chapter 22, that final chapter, it says the Spirit and the bride say come. And from the start uh, to the end, all through the Bible, the Holy Spirit is spoken of. If we look at this section of Scripture, we're looking at words of Jesus Christ regarding the work of the Holy Spirit in people 
who do not know him. Uh, we say in our church, people who are, who are lost, who do not understand the wonderful gift of God that is found in Christ Jesus. And we're going to look at that this morning. It's interesting, as you look at our section of Scripture, really there are four chapters, and obviously I'm not going to preach four chapters this morning, but chapters 13 through 16 are based upon what we call the Lord's Supper. It is a time where the cross is about to happen. It's just hours away. And Jesus is gathering the twelve, his boys. He needs to talk to them heart to heart. He needs to share with them what is about to happen. You see, he, he is close to the journey of the cross. He is close to being alone, being ripped away from these men that he has spent three years with. He... He is about to enter the garden to go through prayer, agonizing prayer. And he, then he is arrested. Then th those followers who said, I will be with you, Jesus, they ran off in, in fear. And, and of course, he went through the persecution. He went to the cross. And then the ultimate feeling of being alone when he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? But at this point, he has the guys gathered and, and he is sharing with him about what's going to happen in just hours. And they did not like what they were about to hear. You see, in the Jewish mindset, the idea was that there was going to be chaos in Israel, and that would set up a longing for the Messiah to come, to bring peace, to end all of the struggle and the chaos that they were fighting against, that they were struggling against. And after that chaos, Elijah would come, or the one who was the forerunner of the Messiah. And so there was this picture of, of that one who would pave the way. And so they asked John the Baptist, are you that guy? <laughs> Remember, they pointed to John the Baptist, and he pointed to Jesus, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then, thirdly, that was, uh, he, the Messiah would come. He would set up his kingdom. And, of course, in their mindset, Rome was going to be defeated. <laughs> there was going to be victory, and there would be peace. But Jesus began to tell him, guys, this is really what's going to happen. Not what you think. You guys have it wrong. And what he shared, well, to be quite frankly, it was depressing. As we look in our text here in verse 5, he says, Now I'm going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. What things? What did they hear? Instead of hearing, I'm going to conquer Rome, I'm going to set up this kingdom, there's going to be peace, and your lives are going to be free from this pain. He said, guys, <laughs> I'm getting ready to go. I'm going to leave you. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to die. And their heads are spinning, and they're thinking, what are you talking about, Lord? I mean, come on, Lord. You are the, you are the guy who has healed those who are sick. 
You were the guy who cast demons out of those who were possessed. Lord, you, you were the guy who provided lunch for a hungry crowd that followed you, needed something to eat after hearing you teach all day. You were the guy who made sure that our taxes were going to be paid through a day of fishing. Well, it wasn't even a day. Catch that fish, coins in there, takes it. You were, you were meant to be with us, Lord. What are you talking about that you're about to leave us? They were filled with grief, the scripture says, because all they could think of was he's leaving. But what they were having trouble hearing is that another was going to come. That the Spirit of God would come, would be with them. And the truth of the matter is, there were tough days ahead. They would have a great commission to fulfill a tough job, and they could not do that alone. They literally needed God's help in order to do that. Oh, I, I had read many things about how many people are lost in our world, and it just makes your head spin, the, the great number and how it's increasing. But it is a great task, and there are many that need to know Christ. But instead of me thinking about the millions without Christ, I need to think about the one he wants me to speak to now. The burden that he lays upon my heart now. He, he said in Acts chapter 1 verse 8. He said when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will receive power. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And to the ends of the world. So he promised that the Holy Spirit would come and, and provide that power. And Jesus was making it clear to the guys in the days ahead. You're going to need the Spirit of God. This is a quote from D.M. Dawson. He said, uh, Without the power of the Holy Spirit, all human efforts, methods, plans are as futile as attempting to propel a boat by puffing at the sails with our breath. Go, boat. Boy, that's powerful, isn't it? <laughs> Being a little sarcastic. Impossible just by my simple puffing at the sails that the boat is going to go forward. We need a, the wind that we don't understand. The movement of the Spirit of God that we cannot contain and that we cannot control. But in order to move forward in obedience to God, we need that movement of the Spirit of God in our lives. And we're going to look at this morning how God moves not only in our lives, but in those to whom He calls us to speak. You see, no one can understand or come to Christ or respond to the gospel without first the work of the Holy Spirit speaking to them, making clear what is not understood. It takes God's Spirit to do that. Look at our text here in verse 8. Uh, verses 8 through 11, he, he says, When he comes, he will prove to the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I'm going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. So Jesus made clear about his presence. He will be with you. He will guide you into all truth. He will make me known. He will testify of me, as it says in, this, in uh, these chapters where Jesus is speaking to his followers. 
And the Holy Spirit provides a pressure, and that's what these verses are referring to. Um, Francis Thompson, he wrote a, a poem that would become beloved in the church called The Hound of Heaven, and it was a description of the Holy Spirit. And Francis studied to be um, in the medical field, and while he was he became addicted to opium, and he tried to kill himself, and then he got saved. And he proclaimed about the mercy and the grace of God, and thus he tagged the Spirit of God as a hound of heaven. And here's just a, a few words that he had written in that famous poem. He said, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him through the labyrinth ways of my own mind. But with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace. In other words, the Spirit of God would find him. Now, how does the Spirit work? Well, notice it, it he says convicts of sin, righteousness, and, and then of judgment. He, he convicts of sin. He, he makes known to us the sin of our lives. And notice in our text here, it's not plural. It's not sins that he makes known, according to verse 9. It is in regard to sin. It, it is not a matter of pointing out individual sins in making a list and saying, hey, hey, you, you got to deal with this particular sin or you're not right with God and you're not a good follower of God. He's not talking about it in that way. He's speaking rather of the concept that we sin because we're sinners, that we have this nature, that we have this rebellion within us that stands in opposition to God. And so as he speaks here, he is talking about in regard to sin in each of us that has to be dealt with. We love to play the blame game. Well, if you'd known the house I grew up in, if you'd had to deal with my parents, or you had to deal with my siblings, or if you had to deal later on with the school I had to go to, or the friends that I had, or all the excuses of what I had to face. Remember even Adam and Eve, Adam, everybody's trying to blame somebody, you know, in the original fall where Eve is blaming the serpent and Adam is blaming his wife and, and the blame game continues instead of coming to grips with the fact that I sinned. And it's the work of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's not my job, it's not your job to convince people that they're sinners. That's the work of the Spirit. Our job is to love them and to declare the truth and let the Spirit of God move and reveal to them that they're broken. That they need a Savior to move in their lives. And so the sin here that is listed that is described, it tells us he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin, in regard to sin because men do not believe in me. And so the ultimate sin here is not a sexual sin, not a sin of pride, 
it, it, it's not uh, specific sins. It is denying forgiveness of sin that is available in Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what he's speaking of here. In, in John 3, 17 and 18, we're told, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It says, everyone who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not believe stands condemned already. You see, it's not the sins that you do. It's the fact that we are already condemned. We're already sinners. We're already broken. We need a Savior. We need the forgiveness that He alone can provide. In John chapter 5, Jesus said, you do not believe. In John chapter 8, He said, you do not believe in Me. In John chapter 14, once again, He said, you do not believe in Me. And the Spirit of God comes to convict the world of sin and the fact that the only way out of sin is through Jesus Christ. That is where the Holy Spirit points. Secondly, he convicts the world of righteousness. Notice what he says here in verse 10. He says, In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. You see, most people, when they think about righteousness, it is a comparison with other people. They say, well, I get to pick who I'm better than. I know I'm better than this guy. I may not be better than you, but I know I'm better than him or I'm better than her, and that's enough, and that'll get me to heaven. And so we play that game on a comparative basis. I just have to be better than you. You know, like the old story of the bear that showed up and he was hungry, and the guy's just tying his sneakers, and he said, what are you doing? He said, I don't have to outrun the bear, I just have to outrun you. And so I don't have to be <laughs> better than Everybody, I just have to be better than some. But that is not enough. You see, there is only one that left here and went directly to the Father. There is only one who was truly righteous. There is only one who was really without sin. And that is Jesus Christ. He is the one to whom we are to be compared, not to one another, only to Him. He is the righteous one. That is why when he says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 48, the end of that first third of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. We can't do that. When we put ourselves, imperfect as we are, next to the one who is perfect, there is no way we cannot see that we need forgiveness, that we need a Savior. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit. He, he is constantly wanting to make known to us, you need Jesus. You need Him in your life. That is why Isaiah was able to say when he saw the one that was high and lifted up, woe is me. I, man, I'm undone. I am in trouble. Because he's able to see his sin and a need for the righteousness of Christ. Jesus also said in Matthew 5.20, Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. He is saying good is not good enough. It has to be the one who is good, Jesus. It has to be him that brings the forgiveness. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21 that has the gospel in a nutshell. It says, God made him who had no sin 
to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Think about that. That's incredible. The Holy Spirit makes clear to us that truth. God made him, Jesus, the only one without sin. God made him who had no sin. There was no sin in Jesus Christ. He was sinless. And he made him who had no sin to be what? Sin for us. The judgment you and I deserve. The bad news that lies ahead that we deserve. Jesus paid the price for that. Man, that's the, that's the news of the gospel. Is I don't deserve it. But he gave his, his life for me. That, that, is what he, that is what he shares. It, 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 his righteousness becomes my righteousness. That when the Father looks upon me, he doesn't see that old rat Todd. He sees Jesus. Because Jesus covers me. And, and that is the good news. That is the message that he brings. And, and then thirdly, that he'll convict the world of judgment. Now, he says here, and about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, Satan was defeated. Now, he's still, you know, it's caught in Matthew, the old Puritan preacher. He said, he said he's on a chain. I know it's a long chain, so he can get pretty close and, and uh, he can wreak a lot of havoc. But the truth is, he is on the chain. God has him under control and he is defeated. And, and so, Jesus says here, that in regard to judgment, the most evil one, the most powerful one in rebellion against God has been conquered and he has been defeated. And the point that he is literally trying to make here uh, from Colossians 2 is at the cross, he disarmed the powers and authorities. He triumphed over them by the cross. And if he has defeated the devil, the most powerful one, how do you think you, old rascal, are going to slip through the judgment? There is no way to miss the judgment. The only way to not face judgment is for Jesus to take your judgment upon himself. That is the message. The message of the cross. If God judged the devil, he will judge us. Um, when I was in elementary school, fourth and fifth grade, one of my good friends was a guy named Eric Weil. And Eric ended up going to a boarding school. I lost touch with Eric. I didn't see Eric for years. When I got out of high school, we happened to bump into each other one summer. And uh, we renewed our friendship. And, you know, I had an opportunity to tell him what was going on in my life. At, at that time, I, I was a Christian. I was... Uh, contemplating what God wanted to do with me, with my life. I felt like he was wanting me to serve him, you know, in some kind of vocational ministry and all that stuff. So anyway, I got to know Eric. I was talking to him. One day, um, Eric and I got together, and he was mad. He said, man, I got these other friends, and they said, what are you doing hanging around with that Jesus kook? You know, that Jesus fanatic. I said, why are you, why are you hanging out with him, Eric? And he said, you know, it made me mad. I thought, you don't even know him. And, it, you know, of course, made me feel good. He's kind of taken up for me. And, and, and so I said, look, man, I can't help it. 
I want to talk about Jesus because he really changed my life. Once I began to understand what Jesus did for me and how much he loves me, No, you know, that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to tell you about. So anyway, we we hung out for a while. And uh, I don't remember. My memory's fuzzy. I don't know how much time passed after that. But he called me, uh, and man, he was really upset. And I said, "What's wrong?" And he said, "Man, will you come come see my?" Yeah. So you know, I went over to see him, and he said, "I, I had this nightmare." And he said, first I had a fever, uh, then I was sweating uncontrollably, uh, got out of bed in my dream, I cut on the light, I looked in the mirror, and my face was melting. <laughs> and he said, while my face was melting, I felt a voice speak to me and say, call Todd, he knows what to tell you. So I said, you know, Eric, we're all in trouble. We start out in trouble because we are fighting against God. That's what the Bible tells us. I think maybe God's trying to get your attention, but there's only one way to have real peace in this life, only one way to know that things are right with a living God, and that is through Jesus Christ. And, you know, I was able to share the gospel with him, able to, able to pray with Eric and and but are you kidding me i'm not really taking credit for a whole lot here because the holy spirit was working the holy spirit was speaking to eric i, I believe the holy spirit all that was where that dream came from in the work that god wanted to do you see the holy spirit applies pressure there is no one here who knows jesus christ who didn't at one point feel the pressure a at one point you didn't realize i'm in trouble and I need to be rescued. The job of the Holy Spirit. His presence, His pressure. And then finally, the last one is His people. Um, when He works, it's partnership. You think He needs us? No. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need you. But He has chosen to partner with us for His purposes. You know, what a magnificent uh, truth. In Philippians 2, the end of verse 12 and verse 13, in the uh, contemporary English version, it says, So work with fear and trembling. Discover what it really means to be saved. God is working in you to make you willing and able to obey Him. So there's this divine partnership that occurs uh, when we're with Him and the work that He does. Listen to, this is John 15, um, you know, go back a chapter, 15 verses 26 and 27. It says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the spirit of truth goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. And you see in those verses, uh, the partnership is revealed. Because he says, the Holy Spirit testifies about me. The Holy Spirit points to me. The Holy Spirit shows you, you need me, Jesus says. But then he says, you must testify about me. 
there is a longing in your heart to tell other people about me. There is a love you have for me that has to go out, that has, has to be shared. A couple of examples in the scriptures. Uh, Peter, he's preaching in Acts chapter 2. You know, we know it's the time of Pentecost and where 3,000 get saved that day. And Peter's, he, you know, he's doing his best. He's, he's preaching. But the Holy Spirit picks up what old Peter can't carry. And he preaches beyond Peter's ability to preach. And he speaks. And in verse 37, the scripture says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what must we do? You see, Peter's speaking and the Holy Spirit starts speaking. And they said, I need something. I need Christ. Then there's Saul, who would become Paul. And remember Saul, he's on the road to Damascus. He gets blinded. And then he, he hears from Jesus. Why, why do you persecute me? And in some of the translations, it says, why are you kicking against the goads? And so that picture of the goads, some of the oxen would be cantankerous. They wouldn't want to do their job. They wouldn't want to move. And, you know, they're big, heavy creatures. So, you know. so what they would do, they would create these goads, which were basically uh, thin wood, and they would sharpen one end of, of the timber, and they would place it against the legs of the oxen. And then when the oxen would feel uncomfortable want to fight against those goads, they would kick, and uh, those sharpened poles would go into the legs of the ox, and it was a no-win situation for them. As long as those goads were there, they were just going to suffer if they fought against what was there. And Paul, the indication here is that it wasn't just at that moment that the Apostle Paul was blinded and brought to his knees, but that the Holy Spirit had been working on old Saul, on old Paul. He had saw Stephen when he was stoned to death. Remember, it tells us at the end of Acts 9 that he was, he was standing there. And, and God was, he was working on Saul. There's something more here. And, and, and Saul didn't understand everything, but the Spirit of God was trying to get his attention. And now it all came together. And he was able to understand as he was blinded, as he was brought to his knees. At this moment, he's, the guy that he was persecuting is the one that he needed. He was the one who had the hope that, he, that needed to be provided. Another one, remember Cornelius in the book of Acts? He wanted to, he wanted to understand what was going on, what, what it meant to be clean, what it meant to be unclean. And, and uh, the angel of the Lord appeared, but the angel of the Lord didn't share the gospel with him. He said, send a messenger to bring Peter. You, the angel should have been able to tell the gospel, but God wanted a partnership. And so Peter came, and he came to share. And he still does that today. He calls weak people like us. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, that this jars of clay that contain the treasure of God. We are the treasure. We have this treasure in us, yet we're weak. Remember from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, this is verse 26 and 27. Brothers and sisters, think what you were when you were called. 
Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's not about how strong we are. It's about Him. And the Spirit of God opens people to that. To that truth. So how do we faithfully share? Um, number one, we're called to be distributors, not manufacturers. In other words, I don't have to create a message to share. I don't have to come up with the newest, smoothest program in order to uh, win hearts. I just need to take the message of the cross and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness that is provided. I didn't create that message. I just share that message. So I'm not a manufacturer. I'm a distributor. <laughs> I distribute that message. Secondly, the enormity of the task that is always before us and the understanding that it would be impossible unless God did not go with us and did not speak through us and to others as we try to speak, because it's an enormous task. And then thirdly, great works done by a combination of smaller parts. Not only does the Spirit of God work through me, he works through us. I remember years, years ago, I used to watch Battlestar Galactica, and it would start out with Joe says, a ragtag fleet. I always think of that picture. We're just a ragtag bunch. And yet our God is able to work even through our weakness. He has made strength. Um, I went to uh, the prayer breakfast uh, yes, uh, yeah, yesterday. <laughs> My clock's messed up. A time all messed up. It was at the associational office. Uh, it was a missions day. And I had some, you know, world famous mission speakers. <laughs> Robert and Gail were speaking. <laughs> I'm just picking on them. But, and I appreciate them both so much because basically what they shared, they just said, you know, we think we have to do all this hard stuff. And they said, no, we just need to go. You can do it. You know, we've been on mission trips. You can do it too. You just go in faithfulness. You know, they were portraying the picture that we're partnering with God, and God is working through us. His Spirit is speaking. I talked to uh, one of the preachers there for a while, and honestly, I listened, which is good for me because sometimes I just want to yak on and on, and I need to listen. You know, God's given us two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we yak, but I'm a yacker. But anyway, I'm still yakking. Uh... I listened to him speak, and uh, this dear brother said, you know, my whole ministry, he's in his 70s. He said, my whole ministry, I've served in small churches. You know, nothing impressive. But God has been so faithful to me. He's been so good. He said, uh, there was one time I had three cents in my pocket, but God provided and gave us what we needed. I said, well, you're still here, so he must have kept on providing. He said, he sure has. He said, my wife has a disease, it's kind of like leukemia, but it's rare, it's a, it's a blood disease. And sometimes she just passes out. He said, so usually I try to hang around, you know, make sure she's okay. I said, was she okay today? Yeah, that's why I'm here. You know. 
And then he said, and then my uh, um, daughter-in-law, she got bit by a tick and got one of those tick diseases, and they didn't catch it in time, and it's pretty much destroyed her immune system. She's afraid to go many places because when she gets something, it's so hard for her to get over it. He said, then my, he said, then my daughter has a disease where she's constantly miserable. She's constantly in pain. But he said, she's got this blog, and all she does is praise God on her blog. How good God is, how faithful God is, how God is always at work, how God doesn't forget us. And then he said, you know, I believe God called you with a purpose. He said, one time, he said, my wife, we had... uh, we were in the interim in little church. I wasn't even a pastor there. I was just going in until they got a pastor. And he said, we had to go to the hospital. We didn't have any money. We didn't have any insurance. He said, we went, into the hosp- we went in the hospital, and they treated her. And it so happened that one of the men in that hospital was an administrator, well, in that church, was an administrator of the hospital. And he found some funding that was available that paid all of our hospital bills. How in the world can God use me? Well, he can use any of us, however he wants. The question is, will we respond to his spirit? Let's pray. Uh, Lord, I thank you for your word. Father, this Christmas season, um, you came, but why? Why did you come? To provide what we could not righteousness by way of calvary the spirit of god shows us that and we respond i pray lord if anyone here has not responded yet to that glorious gift that's why the baby came uh lord now's the time to respond don't put that off so father if anyone here needs to trust christ uh, now's the time just Be honest, God, I need you, I'm broken, forgive me, give me that new start, I want what you have and you alone, the forgiveness that God respects, um, the righteousness. So, Lord, um, I just pray that for the rest of us who are fellow strugglers, may we be able to share with this uh, brother I just spoke of, uh, God is good, even when things don't look good. He's with us. His spirit steers us and guides us as you provide. And so, fathers, we think this Christmas season, we want to remember how great our God is. And we want to give you room, Father, in this time that we call um, response or invitation. God, may we just say yes to whatever you want in this time. In Christ's name we pray.